welcome to another Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, where we bring together some of the best technical leaders um, to discuss some industry passions, challenges and ideas. And today I'm joined by Daniel, Gazala, Andreas and Ziad to discuss the role of a tech lead. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So before we dig deeper into this topic, I wanted to work our way around the room with some introductions from our panel. And within this introduction, if we can kind of give an overview of who you are, what you do, and also what your biggest passion is currently. Um, Ziad, we'll start with you. Sure. So thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. My name is Ziad. I'm a software engineer. I've been in this field for almost 15 years. I have been taking different responsibility. I work as a developer, as entrepreneur, tutor, engineering lead, like consultant, and currently I'm working as a tech lead at IKEA. Uh, as for my passion, I guess, uh, I always be passionate about the different engineering fields. Uh, more, par- par- more particularly, I would I would say software engineering. Uh, I like the idea of like just taking uh, some concept and uh, turn it into product to be really like fulfilling. And uh, yeah, I think it's a feeling that never gets old, so it keep growing on me, which is really good. Uh, however, like. Uh, yeah, as my career has progressed, I've started uh, to become more and more interested on leadership aspect of my work and how maybe to uh, fully embrace it as a mindset. Again, really uh, happy to be here today. I'm really excited to share my insight and uh, experiences with all of you. Oh, brilliant. And we're excited to hear them, of course. Um, thank you for that, Ziad. And Daniel, we'll come over to you for your intro. Sure. So I'm Daniel, and I'm currently working as a tech lead at Helio Company in Sweden. Um, before that, I've, I've also worn a lot of different hats, but before that, I was a commerce tools as a software engineer and what they call a, a people coach. But again, you can look at that as an engineering manager like version, if you want. Um, and before that, as a, at a startup and there, well, small startup, lots of hats and a lot of crazy, crazy fun. Um, my current passions. Um, well, my passions, they are really technology and, and humans. And what I'm currently exploring, well, I guess my biggest passion is really the, the eternal exploration um, and, and continuous learning and in all fields. I just love learning and going and learning a little bit here, a little bit there. So I'm excited to hear, um, be here. Thank you, Sophie. And yeah, to learn from you guys, this will be fun. Oh, nice. Well, no, thank you for joining us and being here. Um, and then Andreas will come over to you for your intro. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Andreas. I'm uh, currently a, a solution architect at Apotek Hjertat, where we're um, replacing the retail solution uh, there. Previously worked at H&M and Nissan, Canon, Disney, along with a bunch of different startups as well. Um, I've been both a manager and a tech lead and all, but always a developer in the background. And I still really enjoy actively coding to not lose that, that part of the, um, the, the sort of tech, um, interest. So really fun to keep, keep up with the, with the tech. I think my, my passion is, uh, at this point, really trying to get into the core of of understanding what the business wants, uh, even, even, even sometimes better than the business knows themselves, to be able to translate that into into technical requirements and and technical solutions where we can really make uh, a lot of magic. There's nothing better for me than than being able to 
to make a leap uh, for the business and see that they can thrive and and also making technical solutions that are exciting uh, for for everybody involved in building them and and really getting that energy going so that's where i i really uh, find a lot of uh, joy i think at the moment so that's me oh brilliant no thank you for that i think um it sounds like with all the companies you've worked at there's definitely some experiences there where you can move on and then use them to to create that excitement so yeah excited to have you as well and then last but definitely not least Gazala, we're coming to you hi i'm Gazala. i'm currently working as a team manager for a company called recorded future uh, my team is a back-end based team so a lot of back-end development previously i was working as a tech lead for volvo cars and previously uh, before volvo cars i was working with lincoln co and a little bit with fireeye uh, so I have a very mixed background working for car industry, cybersecurity, uh, and sometime uh, with, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, shipping-based companies, uh, stuff like that. And my biggest passion is to work with something that empowers other people or which gives something back to the society, be it creating a portal which makes people's life easy or uh, like a cybersecurity product which that empowers other companies to keep a safe space and um, learn better from uh, what they face, what challenges, what threats they face. Um, yeah, and also I, I like to take initiatives which try to improve existing processes within the company so all the teams and all people working within the company, they can, uh, uh, they can show their best um, capabilities and stuff like that. So yeah, I keep on working towards that. Oh, nice. That's, I mean, that's a great passion to have, isn't it? It sounds very helpful. Well, thank you all. Um, I think let's just get straight into it because there's some, everybody's got their own kind of statement or question to bring to the conversation. So same as, as this introduction round, I'll kind of work around the room and ask each of you to pose your question and a bit of an introduction, the reasons behind it and then open it up to the floor for everyone else to kind of give their take on the situation. Um, so Daniel, let's start with your topic of permission to lead. Exciting, so tell us more. Yeah, well, it's it's an exploratory question uh, that I think uh, we, we can probably explore together. Um, and that is, so what is what does it mean, the permission to lead? So I'm obviously in a tech lead position, so uh, we have the title and the responsibilities that come with that. But I think there's also more to it. Um, uh, our, um, a permission to lead uh, that is this for me in my work, but also for all the team members, so uh, they can self-lead, so to speak. And and by that, we're also I think fostering uh, new leaders and a and a and a process of leading oneself forward. So this is a topic I'd like to explore. Great. I think that's a, I think I think it's a super interesting topic. Um, spent a lot of time talking about uh, servant leadership, uh, for example, um, establishing also psychological self uh, safety and, and 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 a lot of things. But for me, I think um, one learning I, I've had as uh, as having been in a in, in a lead role a few times is is to also know when to step back uh, because. I have a tendency to sometimes uh, a topic comes up and I get excited about it and I jump in. Uh, but <clears throat> I think if if I want to, and so this is a, a, a so something where you have to weigh, uh, of course. But but sometimes it's important to start to build up other people's leadership skills to know when to be quiet and. And to like just not take up the, the the space and let the people that are maybe a little bit more hesitant uh, speak up. Uh, but I think it's also um, an important part, and I want to hear your uh, all of your opinions on this too. Is to is to also not leave uh, teammates in in neglect and to give them the the right for, uh, like guard guardrails, the right mm-hmm. constraints to work within. Um, it's important to have a, a really clear direction that you know work work within these frames sort of but be but but then also give um, give some freedom for them to come up with 
uh, ideas and, and solutions within those frames. Um, and finding that balance, uh, how big your frame, uh, that's, a, that's an important uh, aspect of, of sort of building up leadership in other people. But I'm curious, um, your, your other people's thoughts. Um, but what comes to me right away is, is uh, I've also had that same struggle. Like when is the, the frame too, too strict and when is it too loose, so to speak? Um, I'm not sure if I've come to a, a right answer, but, um, uh, I, I suppose checking in on people and making sure they go doing good, it, it, it's just a, a small thing to do. But what comes to mind is one of the mentees that I had, um, when, when I would work with him, uh, we would do pair programming, uh, like we often do, right? But I will not give you any answers. And even if I knew the path we were going down, this is not going to lead anywhere. We would still go there together to figure out like, oh shit, this didn't work. Okay. And that then back off. Because I think, yeah, getting into that process of discovering and, you know, finding how things work, that's the, the real challenge as a, as a software engineer. Can you actually move forward and I remember we got to a point where he said that when he runs into a problem, he asks himself, okay, what would Daniel do in this position? And I thought that was interesting because the way I hear him speak then is, um, what is the actionable part in me? Like what would the actual part in me do in this situation? So I don't think he had anything to do with me anymore, but he was asking himself, okay, if I'm about to go forward, how do I do it? Um, but then of course uh, that doesn't answer your question with when. Uh, I suppose is somebody di diving themselves so deep in the hole they're trying to fix the compiler instead of solving <laughs> solving the, the the feature problem or the bug they're trying to solve. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and, and and I think maybe that that comes like like I, I I often think about that too. There are all often informal leads and there are formal leads, but there are people. In the organization that command a lot of respect. Why do they command all this respect? And and sometimes somebody has a title of of tech lead, but the informal tech lead is actually someone, someone else. Uh, and 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 so of course, right? It's important if you are if you are a tech lead to also sort of bring that confidence uh, with you that that okay, they really know what they're what they're talking about. I can go to this person. Uh, uh, but I think it's a brilliant tactic that you that you uh, said there, Daniel, to to also let the person fail um, to uh, to to get to a point, and then try to say, okay, well, why didn't that work? Uh, and use that as a teaching moment. Uh, failure it can be a, there's no great learn, uh, nothing that teaches you as much as as failing. And in fact, right, my if I look at my experience, I would say it's all the failures that 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 give me something to. Um, to look back on. Yeah, I, I also think that it's a really interesting question. And I would like to add uh, what Daniel said that uh, sometimes you don't uh, take them to the actual destination of what they are looking for. You just uh, drive them or just give them a hint to the, to the right direction. Uh, so they still are independent enough to build their own skills of finding a solution. And they are not wasting a lot of time of uh, on thinking about something that's not the the right solution. So you kind of point them in the right direction. You give your help. You facilitate them. But it's for me, it's not really important to always go together with them. I mean, you can um, you can train somebody if they have less experience within a skill set within the technology. But my approach. Uh, from a tech lead perspective is to point someone in the right direction and let them figure it out because otherwise you create a lot of dependencies on yourself. And if you are a tech lead, I believe you are not just leading one person, you, you'll be having a team of people and you'll be involved in a lot of, um, planning meetings, estimations and priority, what are the product priority and stuff like that. So, and coding as well and helping other people. So to, to kind of divide everything, uh, it's good that you help them, um, but not, uh, not solve the whole problem or not just stay there with them all the time. Um, and there should be an acceptance from your team side that yes, they, they trust you, uh, with your skills and capabilities and they trust you that you will help them 
uh, to get the best solution uh, for for the whole team. Uh, so there are two things that are really, really important. And that when they see that you do this, you build trust, you help them, uh, but you don't let them uh, totally, uh, you know, waste their times, uh, time, then, then they kind of learn these things and they start to help each other as well with the, with the same approach because they are more independent. Uh, they are uh, capable of finding a solution on their own. They just need minimum information. Um, what do you think? I, I see that Sad has also raised that. Yeah, really good talks from all of you. I think it's really inspiring. So I will start maybe from Andrea's question. I don't think uh, it's easy to find any answer to when like to step in or like uh, to back a bit because I think the good aspect of what we are doing most of the time are dealing with engineer side. And engineers, most of the time, they know exactly what needs to be done. But sometimes they just miss if they are like you, you will join to the team. So they miss this like uh, insurance part that they know how to do it, but uh, we need someone to like uh, give us this like security or insurance that, okay, this is what we are doing is correct, right? So this is where I, I think as a tech lead, uh, is responsibility shine where you need just to, to, to trust and start to maybe provide the guidance and I, I just want to take the discussion to another uh, maybe turn here because I think it goes, I really like how it's phrased to like permission to read. Like it's already, it already implies that, okay, to get that permission, you need to earn it. And if you want to earn it, there is no way if your team doesn't respect you, right? So which leave us to like leading by example, because I see it goes hand by hand, right? And as they said, like action speak uh, louder than the words. So. Uh, maybe we can, uh, I will just open the question here. Like, what what do you think, like, leading by example? First of all, do you think it's goes hand by hand with, like, permission to lead? And what do you think, like, as a tech lead, uh, what's your main responsibility to, like, encourage such uh, spirit on the team? Uh, uh, for me, I think it really goes um, hand in hand. And I think it also goes hand in hand with uh, what Andreas talked about, the official leader and the unofficial leader. Because I think... Uh, in some cases, you have a clear leader, and it might not be the one with the title, um, but it's it's really the one who is learning the most. Like I think there's obvious when there's somebody who is really deep in the weeds and learning, and by there you can see that they're growing, and and they're what what can feel like to me they're always one step ahead. But by that, they're also giving me me the permission. It's like, oh wow, look, this person is doing it. I can do it too. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I can just concur. I think it's um, I think it's important to set an example. Not not only um, it's not it's not only about oh this is how you code stuff and then maybe 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 you're never gonna be uh, the best at at coding something. There's always gonna be a, a thousand ways to look up uh, a piece of code on Slack or nowadays maybe even Chat GPT. Very fascinating development there, but um but i think you know it's also the attitude and the and the mindset and the and the way that you come into the office uh, and 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 or greet people virtually to to be excited I, I like to keep things a little bit light um you know even it's all serious business but let's let's um find a way to 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 have a laugh uh, or, or something or or bring people together and and i think if if you're the one that's also building this this trust and the psychological safety. I think there's nothing that makes an, an effective team more than people being uh, able to speak up openly and not being afraid to say, I don't know how to do that, or, well, why can't we do it this way? And and there's no stupid question, and there's, and, and there's never anybody that comes down on you. And if you're that kind of a leader, uh, then I think even if you're not the strongest technical leader, you will bring people uh, with you because you're you're being uh, somebody that people want to be around. Yeah, really good point. Uh, I think it makes total sense that you uh, you should have good people skill. 
uh, people should be able to co feel comfortable coming to you. They should not be feeling that, oh, this is a very senior person. This He or she, they have like this many number of years of experience in this technology. And my question would sound very stupid to them. And this will be like nothing. Maybe I should spend a lot of time in Googling this first and then ask. So it's really, really important to have a people management skill, uh, technical skill as well. But I give more points to people management skill because um, the moment people feel comfortable talking to you, the moment you make them feel that uh, you are there to help them, uh, not just be or having a higher um, authority or a higher or bigger title than them, uh, you're just there to help them or and goal is the same, uh, to be successful as a team. Uh, when we finish something, it's not going to be like, okay, done by the tech lead. Uh, it's going to be, the, yeah, this team or that team did that together. Um, so it's really, really important to make uh, them um, feel that way, that you're there to help and they can come to you, talk to you. It's a really great point, Andrex. Yeah. Also think so when I know it in, in oh, sorry. I'm just going to say that I think imposter syndrome is a, is a really big deal uh, in this field. And I mean, we're talking about a film that nobody can know everything. It's really impossible. I mean, for myself, I'm still afraid of CSS, so I, I just don't touch it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. Somebody else was about to say something. Yeah. Careful. You are talking to a front-end developer. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe starting from there, because now so I think other aspect of what you mentioned is like the technical bar type. Right? So most of the time, the tech lead are the, the most or one of the most senior uh, engineer on the team. And I think with that, we need to highlight it comes a lot of responsibility. Like you, you, you need to be one of the gatekeeper for let's talk about like uh, whatever you are putting on the main branch or Whenever there's like a code review need to be conducted, you need to be the gatekeeper there. You need to like provide some guidance. And if you want to lead by example, you cannot, for example, ask someone to document some BR work where when once you are sending something like creating a pull request, they never see you like adding any documentation. And the same for like test coverage. You cannot just go and ask your engineer, please, we need to have 80% test coverage while all of your BR just like uh, passing to the main right away, right? As they, they used to say, like the senior developer, they just like commit to the main right away because they don't trust anyone to review this code. <laughs> yeah, again, like I said, that it's really, really important to highlight that it's a team working together. So other people should be taking a look at the tech leads code as well, because in the end, it's the ownership of whole team, not just one person. And once you get rid of that kind of vibe within the team that they are working against each other and who wrote the who is writing the best code and who is writing the worst code uh, then i think you you have already achieved your goal uh, if everybody is just helping other person to to be better or finding a better way to do something and there are many better ways to do one thing so my way is not the best way or somebody else's way is not the worst way uh, it's just that people look at problem with different approach and we should be able to accept different approach. Uh, we should have a guideline that, okay, this is how we're going to write the code and stuff, uh, but we should be able to accept different approaches to solve problem. Um, that will also um, encourage people to come up with their own ideas. They won't be just going by the book, doing everything that it says and not um, be creative. Um, yeah. I know Sophie is mindful about the time, but maybe last point. <laughs> uh, I love this like talk that you could know a lot about the company culture just looking to the way they are actually conducting the code review, like how they communicating with it, with each other, how they if there is anything on the place that everyone is following. So that actually a very good indicator that you have a very good tech lead or even team lead on place, right? Nice. Does that give you kind of some more insights, Daniel, in, into kind of permission to lead, lead it by example? I mean, there were some really good um, chunks of information and, and ideas and really good experiences there. 
Yeah, I think that, and this is a conversation that one can probably keep keep having for for a very, very, very long time. I'm not sure there's any, uh, I mean, exact answers. It seems both like a science and an art. Yeah. I think um, it definitely shows you could talk for hours and hours and maybe never come to a, a definite solution, but great conversation, great topic to bring up and a good starting topic, so thank you. And moving on now to our second one, so Ziad, will come over to you and your topic of balancing technical and business requirements with also a focus on importance of non-functional requirements. So yeah, take it away. Yeah, thanks, Sophie. I know like the non-functional part of our business is not famous or like lovely enough for a lot of people, but either way, I will try to touch on it because I think uh, it's at the core of like the responsibility of a tech lead. So yeah, what I want uh, to bring uh, to the discussion here is just the balancing between the technical and uh, the business requirement. And I would like to highlight specifically on the non-functional part of it, basically like the performance security, scalability, uh, availability, even like accessibility, how accessible is your product to like different uh, diversity of end users, right? And uh, the reason I'm bringing this topic because what I've seen on my experience on different companies, it used to be like some kind of pattern where a lot of like stakeholder or POs tend to overlook such requirement for a good reason from their perspective, of course, that it doesn't provide uh, a direct visual added, added or a visual added value to the end user, right? And for some reason, they will find they they finding sometimes hard time justifying such a feature, like the team working in three or four months on one of the non-functional feature. How we can justify that to the stakeholder since we will not provide any new features, right? And uh, yeah, before I give my take on it, I would like to like. Uh, uh, give the word to all of you and maybe asking a couple of questions here. So the first one, uh, how your team is doing it, like how you are considering the non-functional uh, part of the requirement, at which stage of uh, the product development phase you are you consider it? Is it part of like definition of time or are you consider it at the end of maybe uh, phase? And maybe last one, uh, how can be, what can be done to be more maybe, uh, yeah, close the gap a bit between communicating this information to the business guy. Yeah, I on top of my head, there is this thing. Um, there is a program that I, I have uh, done with my one of my previous employer. It's called Making Developer's Life Easy because when your code is maintainable and you don't have to worry about the scalability issue, you don't have to worry about so many requests coming in and out and your website or your application is um, responding in a very, very slow way. Um, I think that that makes uh, it easy to change later on. You don't have to spend a lot of time fixing bugs. Um, and these requirements, all of these uh, functional requirements, but something that you cannot actually show that, look, we added this new feature or we added this new page on our application, which, uh, you know, do this or do that. Uh, then it gets really, really difficult to convince um, as stakeholders that, okay, we spend, we are going to spend two months rewriting everything. For example, the, the old code base will be still up and running, but we are trying to change it. We are trying to change, for example, backend of a uh, backend technology, or we are trying to change how our database is structured right now, because that will make our response time better. For example, we don't have, um, um, you know, good or best way of structuring our database right now. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that this all goes uh, with making developers' life easy and also uh, actually stakeholders' life easy as well, because next time when they come up with new requirements, uh, new feature requests, it will be easy for, for the whole development team to just add it or create uh, new features and functionalities because it will be easier uh, to do it. So I think it's very, very important to highlight or if if you have been working in an OKR model, then we have like uh, object key uh, roles or whatever we call it. I always forget and I always write the bad OKRs. But I think to add something like that in your uh, yearly or quarterly goals that, okay, these are the requirements or functional things, or functional requirements which we cannot actually show or we which we cannot actually demo, 
these are the parts of uh, we, we will be doing it as well we'll be spending time of it and there are many tools with actually show response time you can take out from google analytics and stuff like that to show that kind of progress that okay because we improved this this was the response time because we improve this thing we are having more uh, clicks or more hits on our website so there are many ways to show the progress or show the, the the result after doing that kind of work but i totally agree that it's hard to convince uh stakeholders or management for us to on that perspective it's always like that when i demo something um and it's not uh, presentable like i cannot share my screen and show it look we did this so it, it gets really difficult to actually convince that yeah we've been working so much on this or that thing but i, I think showing some some kind of analytics some records at how it was previously and how it is now i will definitely uh convince or if not convince just put the thought in their head that this is also important Yeah, I can jump in uh, also a little bit. I think um, for, for, for me, there's there's like three main main things. There are some non-functional requirements that basically you always have to work on. So, and like on for, for, for any retail site, uh, of course, response times and and uh, and most contentful paint or whatever you want to use as the 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 measurement of success. Um, how long does it take for for the page to to load and be interactive by the user, of course, this is a this is something that the business should be super interested in because every every second uh, it takes uh, you you lose um, customers and they go somewhere else um, more and more impatient all the time. Right? Uh, other NFRs are really are probably something that you established upfront, uh, like. Uh, like I, I, I do a lot of big projects, big implementations. So then we, then it's important to, to say, well, what, what kind of uptime are we going for? What are the security requirements? What kind of, you know, mean recovery times should we have? And, uh, you know, it, it's always an interesting question to ask the business, well, what kind of uptime do you want? hundred percent. Well, okay. Well, that's going to cost a bazillion dollars. And so maybe that's not, but, and uh, where what is it that the business is willing to invest in in really high uptime and what does it cost uh, so uh, i think all non-functional requirements are connected to a business uh, value and that's really the third point is to to it becomes so important to have a to have a real discussion uh, that non-functional requirements is not an it thing it's a it's a business uh, thing and uh, these things have real impact on, on the business, uh, the ability to sell or the ability to continue to, to do business. Um, if there's a non-functional requirements that have no impact on, on, uh, on the business, then I'm not sure they are far valid either with other, they are legal requirements. And if you don't do them, you're going to be penalized like GDPR stuff and you know, whatever. So I think mo most everything has a, a, a big a big connection to uh, the running uh, business. And I think a, a, a good way that we've used before is to sort of establish a library of abilities, you know, maintainability, reliability, scalability. There's a lot of abilities in, in the NFR uh, and that you can always re refer to, like what are the, the standard ones? And maybe that they don't apply to all uh, coding initiatives, but um, many of them will be Will be common so i i feel like it you're, you're totally right um so yeah that uh, it's often neglected and sometimes you don't think about it but so important to to have it with you top of mind and also to always keep working on uh, on the things that really affect uh, end user experience and i strongly agree with you andrea and one of the things that uh, i've done in the last few projects as early as possible is to set up SLOs, SLAs, SLIs, SLOs, um, because then at least we do have a goal and I can show uh, the stakeholders that we're now working towards this goal. So if that is a response time below I don't know, 50 MS and we're at 250, we have a clear goal and I can show the progress we're making making to get there. Um, but then there's also other ones, um, for example, developer experience, a little bit more difficult to measure, 
but if you don't care about it, your engineers will leave the team soon enough. So <laughs> I, I agree with you fully that it becomes a business problem in the end anyway, unless you, unless you tackle it. Um, currently in my team, we, we are counting on, on the error budget that we get, uh, from, from the uptime. So we, we have even an amount of time we know each month we can spend on this to, you know, we could do whatever we want on it, but let's invest in developer experience, for example. Um, and, and with that too, is something I like to set up as quickly as possible to be, um, uh, in the project. So we have hot reloading, for example. Um, so, so that's there from scratch. So we don't, so it doesn't become an afterthought and it requires a huge refactoring or change of architecture. Yeah. I think to get these things right and you can run a, a very long time. I think those are really, really great insight. Thank you so much. I think maybe just to conclude here and move on to the next topic, like most of the application, as you said, Andreas, uh, uh, it need actually to have some kind of uh, scalability on mind when you, when you do it. So there is no application today that just like uh, directed or targeted only to small amount of people, all of them working on bigger scale, right? And ChatGPT maybe is a very good example since you mentioned it because it has this awesome feature, but what's the point if no one can access it or no one can use it, right? So this is one of the good example, but maybe just to conclude here, I think as a tech lead, I always like uh, to make it just clear when I'm doing the backlog for the engineering to, to add it on, at the very early stage. So uh, the product owner and the designer will be aware that the team will dedicate some time working on those features, right? Because there is no point uh, to add to go with the crazy feature if it's not accessible, uh, if it's not secure enough, if, if you are considering some uh, bad practices that will maybe cause some uh, data breach uh, uh, and yeah, make a catastrophe delivery, right? Mm. Thank you. Well, thank you for all kind of the insights within that. I think uh, definitely a, a good topic to, to bring. Um, and then similarly kind of moving on to your topic, Andreas, which kind of in the same realm, but slightly different, um, bridging business and tech closer together. So yeah, tell us more. Yeah, no, I, I get, I get really, uh, worked up about this one because, uh, I think uh, a company can really make a lot of magic when business and tech are, are working together and seeking each other out to find the right solutions for the customers that so you can have, you can have like either a, a relationship where you're like, well, tell me your requirements and then, and then you make the requirements and then you sort of blindly code or, or make the thing that the business now, okay, here it is. Um, but if you instead have the the relationship where, okay, well, we're, we're trying to achieve this or improve this, but why are you trying to do that? Okay. We're trying to do it because of, because this, and th this is happening in, in the store with our customers and, and we need to have, you know, we're, we're seeing that people are backing out. Okay. Well then what about this kind of technical solution? Oh, but that's not really, is that really going to achieve this? No, it's, but in that, in that discussion right there, um, I think technical people can bring a perspective on on the business solution, and business people uh, can 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 say that oh well if you can do it that way, that's not really exactly what we thought of, but that will probably go pretty far along the way. Maybe the doability is a lot better. Maybe we can uh, get a test for that out in in production a, a lot faster than than sort of trying to blindly code this really difficult thing. I think where you if you can have a dialogue about instead of just saying, oh, let's take this thing. Oh, that's going to be hugely complicated. It's going to take 400 million hours to code and, and oh my God. And, and then you start doing it in, but, but there might've been uh, a real shortcut you can take, uh, to, to get in it. But it really requires that as, as tech people, we are interested in, in what the business, what the business is and well, and how the operations are and what people are actually doing, what's happening on the shop floor, what's happening on the, in the business process over here. Why does it work like that? And then, um, so I, I, I also don't think, um, it's not true that every tech person wants to know. I've had plenty of people tell me, I don't want to know about the business. I just want to solve technical problems. Uh, 
And so I don't think it's, it's, it shouldn't be an ambition to make everybody a business expert. Um, but I think for me, uh, if a tech lead or, or leaders within the organization can be, uh, have, have pretty good knowledge about business, uh, how, what the, how the business works. And if, and if there's a trust between uh, business, uh, developers and, and tech developers, then you can start to have this really interesting discussion about, uh, and this, and this deep trust, uh, is built between the businesses that where, where they, where they also come to us and say, well, we're thinking about doing this. What do you guys think? And, and we're like, wow, let's, let's make some, some really interesting, uh, solutions. Um, this isn't, I've, I've seen that this, this is difficult to achieve. Sounds easy, but it's difficult to achieve in reality because failed IT projects, the lack of trust uh, from to, to the IT people and, and, and well, they don't know what we're talking about. I've given up. I, they, I can't talk to them. They don't, they don't talk. I don't I don't understand what they're saying. Uh, so, um, I, I, I still struggle with the, with the magic formula. I don't think there is a, a magic way to do it. Uh, I think like with everything you have to push yourself in there and show interest and, and be a nice person and just, and also, and, and sort of put yourself in the position to be able to, um, make this bridge. Uh, but what the question I have for, for, for all of you, uh, on the call is, um, you know, what is this, is this something that you think about? Do you think about uh, the connection to the business process you're trying to solve or the, the core sort of, uh, operations that, that you're working on, um, and the, or the customer problem that you're trying to do. And, and sometimes, you know, you might there's architectural principles, which we all hold dear to and, and the right way to do things. And then there's the pragmatic choice that might get, get you 90% there. Um, but my God, it's not a, it's not a sexy solution at all. It's pretty crap, but it, it, it does do the, the work for, for the business. And, and I think oftentimes we have to choose the pragmatic solutions uh, and, and that we have to be okay with that. But, but like, what, what's your take on, on, on sometimes having to do that pragmatic choice over, uh, and letting go of the architectural principles, uh, in your, in, in your work? No, a really good question and really great points, Andreas. Uh, you have said and given many great ideas to solve this problem, actually. And, uh, if I go back to the point where you said that how to bring uh, business and tech side closer uh, and the thing that you mentioned that you cannot train or you cannot have every single person who cares about the business uh, in the company you cannot hire all of these people at one place so but my way to to look at it is that you can hire team managers and tech leads who really believe in in the product or in idea or vision of company that okay this is what we are building there should be key people who actually care about the product actually care about the business and they can put it in front of uh, uh, other people developers or technical people in the team that this is how it is connected so if you solve this problem this is how uh, it's gonna fit in the in the puzzle out there and this is how you're gonna solve uh, that problem for this client who actually raised this concern or came up with the with a new request. And the the thing that you mentioned that um, if we wonder about it, uh, that if it's so one solution is uh, business friendly and the other solution is the the tech friendly and it will take us long way. Then I I always think about building something uh, like pilot or something for for uh, uh, like we do a b testing something for a shorter time to to just be there for the business uh people to see that okay we have this feature up and running but tell them that okay we have this much scope for this new feature or this new requirement for some time and it will work but on the background we'll be working in uh in depth to 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 build a perfect solution which will go far ahead uh, so that way, uh, you try to create a win-win situation between both tech and business. You give them something that they want to show off, 
uh, or they want to make money from. And you also give tech people uh, a motivation that, hey, look, we demoed this thing or we did the proof of concept or we did this A-B testing and this feature or this thing is super popular. Now just, you know, make it better, improve it, make it more scalable or uh, whatever we are aiming to do in that uh, specific situation. I, I think we can solve it, if not everything, but something with these two uh, approaches. Maybe I can come with practical examples as uh, we are currently actually doing it on my team. So we had this project that I was leading and it was very tight timeline and we need to be up and running on 21 different markets around the world, right? So the only way for us that has everyone involved and everyone uh, expectation already on the place on weekly basis was to conduct actually some kind of demo that we are detecting, presenting to the business and the UX and anyone interested. What we are doing, getting the feedback and starting working on any valid feedback right away. Don't push it back, right? So this is one part. The second part, like recently, my team starting actually working against uh, empowered product team mindset more than feature-based, meaning uh, you have a problem to solve rather than like feature to build, right? And on this approach, you will have like button top kind of hierarchy where uh, as a team, UX, uh, uh, business and developer, all of them need to work together to shape the product. So we'll have a lot of explore, uh, product explore session where you will define the boundary. Then we will push it back to the management. This is what we think it's valid and it's achievable during this time. So uh, just to pass it to uh, Daniel, I will say the keyword here to communication, transparent, and keep everyone involved. Mm. Great points from all of all of you. Um, I think I think it also matters uh, on which context you're in. I think. It, it, in my experience when I've been in startups, that it seems like everyone is really excited about this new cool thing we're building. So there it feels like the, the buy-in is quite easy. But if you work in a large corporation, uh, you might have an engineer who never wants to, uh, you know, visit any meetings whatsoever and don't care, but just want to build, uh, right? And I think that's probably where the tech lead can step in and be, be the one who is um, able to communicate uh, the why of things. It seems like we're touching a little bit of purpose here. What is the shared purpose between business and tech? Um, and I think that's something uh, that a tech lead can do. So, uh, for example, if, if we're running out of runway, we don't have time. Um, um, and, but if we develop these features and we have to be a little bit pragmatic about it, but we get it out, it means we get more money. Then I think it's it's uh, it's quite easy to, to motivate the, this uh, uh, engineer who doesn't care uh, to... No, I, th I think it's context-based, but I think, um, yeah, uh, you, you can find a shared purpose in, in any organization. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I think so too. And I think your, your examples, yeah, the, uh, of demos, of course, that should be an integral part of any agile development and, and, and scrum process uh, and, and business people should be excited to come to those, uh, as much as, uh, tech people, um, so sometimes difficult to generate excitement about going to a tech techie demo, but uh, if, if you can make that demo more sort of business friendly, that that's good. But I've I've also seen that uh, it can work pretty well if you if you invite, um, you know, the business to to like a, a brown bag session to say, well, this is how stuff works, and this is why. Know, here, here's the thing that's that's blocking. There's a, there's a bit of a bottleneck, or, or here's the thing that's that's making uh, this site work like this. This is why it's complicated to do uh, this thing real time uh, because all, all those things, um, and do it with you know a little bit fun way to present it, a uh, little bit animations or or other things that, that bring it alive. Um, yes, but no, 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 no simple formula uh, for sure. Uh, but I think it's an important thing to to work on and and um, and really establish those communication lines in the company. Right. Nice. I think there's some really, again, really interesting points been brought up there and and kind of cross industry as well. It's not just specific to to any company or industry. So, yeah, lovely pieces of information. 
Um, and finally, Ghazali, your question, I know we're kind of reaching the, the time limit, but definitely worth mentioning and, and getting everybody's views on um, how important is it to have some management experience as a tech lead? So take us away with your thoughts. Yeah, I think my question is uh, quite close to what Daniel asked, uh, permission to lead. And we, we touched on some points uh, when we talked about it, that how important it is to have some people management or uh, communication skills being a tech lead and how you should get yourself uh, accepted uh, within the team and earn the trust. Um, but uh, now I would, I'm more looking into that how you can train someone to have this kind of experience because uh, yes, tech lead is the person who has most experience, a uh, technical experience in, in the team, but that person uh, cannot have like, uh, or maybe it's not really important when you look for tech lead to, uh, and you look for some management experience uh, as well. So if a person comes from 100% tech background, how a company should approach this kind of situation and how they can have some training sessions for this person. And, uh, or if there are no training sessions, what a tech lead should do to, uh, to have this kind of experience, because you're gonna earn respect. You are going to, uh, you know, um, uh, you want that trust, uh, that your teammates are feeling comfortable to, to ask you questions and, uh, having a trust in you and you can drive them. Uh, but how to have those kind of skills, because sometimes, even if you have a lot of experience, uh, you don't have, uh, the domain knowledge, which your teammates might be having. If you join as a new tech lead, or if you join, um, you know, if you join, or if you come from another team, then they will be knowing more than you, a business requirements even and uh, domain knowledge and stuff like that so what do you suggest how how should we approach this kind of problem yeah i can i can start uh, i think uh, i think that uh, it's a it's a really uh, interesting question and and i mean you have to of course hopefully when you when you've when you've promoted a, a really technical person or brought in a technical person to be a a tech lead You've you've had the chance to to ask some management e like questions like how would you handle this kind of scenario or this kind of scenario, but then I think uh, what what's super helpful I think it's a must really that um, that you that that anybody that has this kind of lead role can also have the chance to to assess, uh, attend certain. Um, certain trainings, um, management trainings, there's, there's something that's really hard to, to read about and, or, or to just figure out on your own that there are, for example, different kinds of personalities uh, out there, people that learn in different kinds of ways and also to understand what kind of personality you are, uh, you know, these kinds of, um, trainings where you, where you have to identify yourself, well, am I? Am I this kind of person, or that that kind of person? Am I a decider, or a or a or a listener, or or how do I make decisions? And so that you can relate to how other people um, make decisions, and and those that gives you tools to sort of um, be able to know how to approach uh, maybe somebody that's that's difficult. Uh, sometimes there's no way to approach somebody that's difficult. They're just they're just uh, a difficult by by nature, but um, but the I think I think it's you know I think every company should uh, invest in training their technical leads uh, to to have some sort of basic sort of uh, this is this is the kind of personalities there are this is the kinds of of ways to approach uh, even uh, how you present the topic um, starting with. Uh, and how you sort of appeal to all kinds of personalities and ways uh, and mindsets that are out there. Uh, so I don't think you, I don't think it's a good idea to, to just leave them to them, to their own advice, uh, to their own devices and try to figure out on their own. I think we should, there should be, uh, some, some trainings in place. Uh, really good points there. So same for me, I think there is no way for the tech lead to like get away without some uh, leadership skills in place. 
because when you sign off to be like tech lead, you're already, already agreeing to have some kind of like less coding, more maybe communicating with people. You don't want like your team to be distracted and keep like context switching when if the business reaching out to the developer right away. So you will be some kind of gatekeeper. You need to communicate with different people. Sometimes you will have good days where everyone is happy. Sometimes the stakeholder will be really angry. So you need to have some skill to deal with uh, that part. So that goes actually not only on work, like on every aspect of life, right? So it's not really hard like to have those skills if because we are dealing with like our kids, we are dealing with our friends. So it's already there, but some people just don't like to take the initiative. And this is where once you are tech lead, you, you already signed off to take the initiative, like preparing something, calling for a meeting, uh, just trying to communicate technical uh, terms to like non-technical people. Uh, yeah, maybe just call out uh, your team's mate on like some kind of uh, all hands demo. You don't need always to be the guy that presenting the technical stuff. So yeah, we can go uh, go on and on on that topic. So a lot of aspects for it. What do you think, Daniel? I think that you've covered most uh, most bases already. I think that, yeah, I, I fully agree uh, with you both. And uh, and I like the points about when you hire somebody, of course, I mean, then they should know their shit already. But if there is somebody uh, internally, I think there's a necessity to give courses like this because you also don't know the the the, the agenda they have. Do they want to become a leader so they finally have the final say in everything and can make it all about themselves? Or is it because they actually want to serve as a leader and, and be, you know, serve not only themselves, but about the team as a whole and, and frankly, even the engineering field as a whole? Because in my team, we're not always going to work with each other, but if I can foster more leadership qualities around me, I mean, great win from everybody. Mm -hmm. um, not, not just this company, but the next company they go to as well. Um, yeah, I don't think I have much more to add to it. I just, yeah, I agree with you guys. Yeah, I think trainings are, of course, there are some skills or some, um, um, uh, you'll be bringing something to the table when you are hired as a tech lead, not just your technical skills, your communication skills as well, and your uh, ability to be work both independently and helping people, mentoring people if they need help in coding something or in problem solving or something like that but there should be uh, some trainings to to manage people yes we deal with all kind of peoples in our life but uh, our kids but we always have we are dealing with our friends who we already like that's why we have them in our life kids we love them but now these are the people our colleagues uh, that we don't uh, choose they are there uh, somebody's gonna hire them uh, we don't have 100% say in what they're going to hire. We can just look at their code, think that, okay, yeah, if they've done a good job writing codes and if they look nice, seem nice, then it's okay, hire them. But when you actually work with them in daily life, then there are challenges that you need to solve. And for those challenges to solve, we need trainings. So I, I don't think that we can expect somebody to know everything uh, right from the start. There should be trainings there should be um, help for them there should be documentation and proper onboarding for each and every person who joins the team so that they don't just struggle earning their place uh, within the team sometimes you can lead by example you can build something really cool you can take initiative uh, on some some new feature and uh, work more uh, closely with that take a lead on that but sometimes you are they are not building something new. You are helping them in rewriting something. You are just giving your advice. You're just giving your suggestions. They are the one doing more work and you are doing the more communication with business and other parts of organization. So it becomes really important. The people you are going to interact with and going to work with, you you should know the, the tools available to read them or to help them or to uh, to earn their respect and trust uh, in the best way possible because i mean every all the people that we have in our life we have them because we we know them we like them and we can handle them we can find a way around them but with your colleagues it it's not uh possible all the time or it's not uh yeah i wanted to add uh, a few things so that was uh, because i really like your points here because i love and uh, I, I think one thing that's helped me in the past was 
uh, when we started forming, it was a flat hierarchy, flat organization. We started in for, started uh, placing hierarchy on it because it's needed uh, with scale, but also form a group. So let's say all the tech leads get to talk together for a month because it is a struggle, of course. Um, so so I can share my experiences with somebody. I mean, if I get to talk with you guys, maybe Vina Andreas uh, or Inaruba, I can share, oh, okay, I have one person that I'm struggling with. Maybe he has run into the same problem and we can figure it out together. And 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 I think it's to the point of getting to know oneself, then it gets easier to, to deal with others too. It's like, oh, okay, that person is acting weird. Um, if I've been in that position myself or I know myself, it's probably easier to see why that person is acting weird too and able to work around it. Um, uh, and then finally, you said something that I thought was funny. Uh, that was about family, that, that it's easier to work in family. I'm like, what? Sometimes, sometimes not. <laughs> I don't know how many Christmas parties and so on. We all have struggles in love. <laughs> no, that's all. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> um, well, th thank you all for kind of the final topic there. Brilliant insight again. Um, and before we end the podcast, I mean, I sitting here isn't it it's very clear that these are kind of challenges as a leader i could relate to even in in the kind of recruitment field so i definitely think there's some real key insights into into a lot of different topics that we've covered so i'd like to just take this time to say thank you daniel andrea ziad Gazala, for joining me and sharing your thoughts in today's conversation um, it's been an absolute pleasure so thank you all